here talking about church membership. And I, the reason I say membership is because that's why, how most people know it. Most, most people know it as membership, where you come up on the stage or you walk to the front, shake the pastor's hand, you know, fill out a little card, uh, give them your bank account number, and you're a member. Uh, that's a joke right there. That's a joke, but not in some churches. Anyway, um, we don't call it membership here. We call it what? Ownership, because members have rights. Owners have responsibilities. And so we want owners. We want you to own the vision. And the vision statement of the bridge is giving life by giving Christ. And the mission statement is belong, commit, grow, serve. We want you to own it. Own the core values of our church. Where is all this information? Well, it's at the Connect Center. And it is also on our website, bridgechurch.cc. So find out. What is the vision statement? There's an explanation there about what giving life by giving Christ means. There's an explanation there of what belong, commit, grow, serve means. We want everybody to belong here, no matter where you are in your journey. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? All right, now y'all get quiet on me. It gets longer. So we want everybody to feel like they belong here, no matter where they are on their journey. Amen, right. Okay, so then, though, what we ultimately want everybody to do is make a commitment to Jesus Christ. Not Pharaoh Hardison, not the bridge, but to Jesus Christ. We want you to belong. We want you to have a sense of belonging here, no matter where you are on your journey with God. But we want you to eventually, it is our goal, to help you and lead you and answer any questions you may have that would bring you to a place where you are ready to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. And then we want you to grow. We want you to be discipled. We want you to get your roots down. And we have a lot of ways. Uh, that that happens in our church. And then finally, we want you to serve. We want you to serve. Find out what your spiritual gift is or what your spiritual gifts are and use them in the body. How many of you know it's really, really important for everybody to serve in their gift area? Amen. But we have another little saying around here at the bridge. You don't always get to serve in your gift area. Sometimes you have to serve in an area that's not necessarily your gift area. But when God sees you serving in that area, he sees a willing heart, and that will put you in your gift area eventually. Does that make sense? I don't know anybody. I've never had anybody come up to me and go, it is my gift to change diapers. But when they are willing to change diapers in the nursery, it's amazing how God looks at that and sees that willing heart and opens up doors for them to minister in their gift area. That's good preaching right there. All right? So uh, here's the other little saying we have. I want to I minister in my gift area. I want to minister in my niche area. However, as a servant in the kingdom, I am willing to give my heart and my hands to the place of greatest demand. And the place of greatest demand might be kids' ministry. Or the place of greatest demand might be hospitality. Or the place of greatest demand uh, might be with our student ministry or with our children's ministry. So we want to serve in our gift area, but we're ready to give our heart and hands to the place of greatest demand. So as we think about what it means to be a good owner, 
what it means to be a healthy owner, what it means to be, I like this word, what it means to be an engaged owner. What does that look like? And so what we did, we went to the Bible and found a person who we felt like exemplified the kind of people we want in the bridge. And uh, that guy's name is Barney. Actually, his name was Joseph, and they gave him a surname or nickname, and that name was what? And Pastor Farrell gave him another nickname, Barney, all right? And y'all know how much I love Barney. I mean, you know, like on TV, Barney. I love him. But this is another Barney. Uh, Barnabas, in the book of Acts, is our best biblical example of the kind of bridge owner we desire. His name meant, the name Barnabas meant, the reason they gave him a nickname from Joseph to Barnabas is because it meant son of consolation or son of comfort or son of encouragement. Barnabas was an encourager. He was an encourager. If there's anything we need today, it is some encouragement around here. Because we live in a world of where there's an epidemic of discouragement. Everywhere you turn. And why does the devil work so hard? Why does the enemy work so hard to discourage us? Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because when you're discouraged, you're paralyzed. But when you are encouraged in the Lord, you feel like you can do anything. So the enemy doesn't want you feeling like you can do anything. He wants you discouraged. He wants to paralyze you. And some of you are sitting right here, right now, listening to this sermon, and you are battling discouragement. And some of you are battling it severely, and some of you are battling it moderately, but all of us, if we start thinking about certain areas of our life, all of us have some discouragement going on somewhere in our life. I'm not saying you're never going to be discouraged or you should never experience discouragement. Here's what I'm saying. Don't let the enemy use it to make you hopeless and paralyze you. You always look at your situation through the eyes of Scripture and through the eyes of the promises of God. Paul said to a local church in a city called Thessalonica, in chapter 5 and verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians, he said, comfort the feeble-minded. When we see the word feeble-minded, we think that means somebody who's mentally challenged or somebody who is senile or somebody who, who just doesn't have mental capabilities uh, that, are, that are normal or above normal. That is not the case. What that word means in the original Greek language is discouraged people. Comfort, bring encouragement to the discouraged. So we're looking at five characteristics in the life of Barnabas. Five characteristics that made him a powerful owner in his local church. So we're going to look at them, and as we look at them, we're going to pray that God will give us people like this in the bridge. And the people said, so get your uh, hand out there and get ready. I don't know how much of this we're going to cover today. Um, I was going to end this series today, but I don't know if I am or not. God's, uh, God's given me some stuff. I might give you some more next week. We'll just have to see how it goes. Are y'all okay with that if I give you a little more next week? Is that all right? All right. So the first one is, the first one we discovered, and the scriptures are all there in your notes. You can, you can look up these references. But the first thing is, it teaches us that Barnabas, Barnabas teaches us that an encourager lifts the burdens of others. And what he did was he sold land and gave it to the church because he saw the discouragement of the people. 
He saw there were a lot of people from out of town. He saw the discouragement. They didn't have food. They didn't have home. The church couldn't do what it wanted to do because it was financially strapped. And the Bible says that Barnabas saw a need and met it. He saw something that needed to be done, and he did it. Barnabas stepped up. Barnabas lifted a burden. He's a load lifter. That's what encouragers do. Encouragers don't look around to see who's going to bless them. They look around to see who they can bless. Because they know that when the Lord promised whatever you sow, you will reap, he was not kidding around. So they know if they do the right thing, they'll reap it when they need it. Amen, amen. So he sowed money. He sowed financially. This is what he could do. I'm not saying that's what you can do. I'm saying it's what Barnabas could do. There's another place in the Bible where this little girl took her ointment of spikenard and broke it and poured it all over Jesus. You remember what Jesus said about what she did? She said, Jesus said when Mary poured that oil all over him and took her hair down and used her hair as a towel. You know, if that happened here this morning, it'd be a lot of talk in town, wouldn't it? She let her hair down and just wiped the body of the Lord with that ointment. And the Bible says, Jesus said, she has wrought a good work on me. Somebody murmured against what she had done for Jesus. How many of you know there are murmurers? How many of you know we want them to go to church somewhere else? Amen, amen. So, or we want them to get what they need from God so they'll stop being murmurers. Amen. That would be mo better. Um, so she, they murmured against her, and Jesus stood up in her defense and said, she has wrought a good work on me. She hath done. How many of y'all remember this to King James? She hath done what she, does anybody remember? Could. He didn't say she did what you ought to do or she did what you ought to do or she did. I'm, and I'm not saying you need to go sell a piece of property and give the money to the church. I do want to make clear I'm not against that. But what I'm saying is look around, say, what can I do? Who can I encourage? Don't worry about getting credit. Don't worry about getting noticed. Matter of fact, the more you do for God on this earth and don't get any credit down here, the more credit you're going to get up there. Now, we can credit you down here, but it's not nearly as good as the way he's going to credit you when you get up there. So serve, be a blessing, lift a load, lift a burden, lift a burden. Everybody pray this prayer out loud with me. Dear Lord, make me sensitive to the needs of others and help me to be a burden bearer. Amen, amen. The second thing Barnabas taught us, and we talked about this last week, is a, a person who is a good owner, a person who is an encourager, is a person who connects people with other friends. And the, and the reason we talked about that is because there's a lot of loneliness in the world. And the reason a lot of people are discouraged is because there's a lot of loneliness. And y'all remember what we talked about last week, how Saul, who later would become... Paul, Saul was on the road to Damascus and he was converted and he got saved. Well, before that, he was this terrible persecutor of the church. I mean, he was a savage, severe persecutor of the church. And the Bible says that he got saved. The Bible says he gave his heart to the Lord. Now, I've got to tell y'all something. I don't know what's in your past, but I promise you, your past is no worse than what Paul's was. As a matter of fact, Paul referred to himself as the what kind of sinner? Chief, 
the chief sinner. So the Bible tells us that he was converted on the road to Damascus. Well, now the group, he did serve the, the, the Pharisees and, and all of those who, who ruled in that religious hierarchy who hated Jesus and hated the Christians. Now they didn't like him. Matter of fact, they sought to, we learned last week that they wanted to what? Kill him. So there he is, his old crowd that he used to run with before he got saved, they want to kill him. And now he goes to the church, the Bible says, and he goes, hey guys, can I hook up with you guys? And they go, oh no, we know you. He is between a rock and a hard place. I mean, Paul is in no man's land. A man without a country. But guess who stepped up? Barney. Barnabas stepped up, took Paul by the hand, went to the church, said, hey, let me tell you about this guy. And he hooked, first of all, listen to this, this is so important. First of all, he said, I'll be your friend. I'll be your friend, and then I'll hook you up with some more friends because I'm going to stand in front of these people who really don't know you, and I'm just going to tell them what I've seen in you, and I'm going to vouch for you. Do you know there's some people in your life you need to vouch for them so other people will believe in them the way you do? Are y'all with me out there today? You see, he encouraged people by vouching for them and connecting them to friends. Talk about the goodness in other people's lives. So the Bible says that, and I, you know, this isn't in the Bible, but I can just see old Simon Peter, you know, Simon Peter, I'm sure when Paul came to the church and said, I'm, I'm a Christian now, and I, I, I want to I join up with the church. I, I got to hook up with you guys, man. I got saved on the road to Damascus. I can see old Simon Peter, can't you? Sure you did. Sure you did. I was there that day when Stephen got stoned. Or I heard about it, and I, I heard you were holding the coats of the people while they stoned him to death. And I can see old Simon Peter over there with his arms crossed. But listen, when Barnabas stood up for Paul, when Barnabas vouched for Paul, Peter knew Barnabas, and he knew Barnabas was a discerner, not just an encourager, but a discerner. And I can see old Simon Peter step up and say, come here, Paul. Give me a hug, man. Welcome to the church. There's some people who need that. I got to tell y'all, the, the church is a hard place to get into because we're so holy up in here. We're so holy. I mean, we got it. Man, I, there's some big Bibles coming in here today. I like big Bibles and I cannot lie. I knew the devil was in trouble today because people brought their big Bibles. And um, some of y'all getting that slowly. There'll be people laughing all, some be people busting out laughing while I'm up here crying because they're just getting that joke. So, so, you know, none of us, how in the world, matter of fact, my next sermon series is Judge Not. Y'all better put your seatbelt on on that one. I worked on that a little while yesterday and cried the whole time. I'm not kidding you. Don't judge people, man. Love them. Love people. I don't want to be one of those churches where it's hard for people to get into. You say, yeah, but they might look. I don't care how they look. I don't care how they smell. I, I don't care. We don't love them. 
Isn't it amazing we Christians, we expect people who aren't Christians to act like Christians. And I tell you what, you start acting like a Christian, you can come in here. Well, first of all, there's some Christians I hope they don't ever act like. Did I say that out loud? Amen? Let them be who God made them to be. You love them. That's your job. You just love them. You just love them. They're not your sheep. They're his sheep. All right. What is the third thing? The third thing, the third thing is this. Encouragers, good, engaged owners, members of the bridge, owners of the bridge, here's another thing they do. They don't just lift the burdens of other people. They don't just connect with people and make friends with them and also help them make friends. But here's what good owners do. They, They bridge the gap. They bridge the gap. And let me show you what I mean. Let's read. you got the scripture right there in front of you today, so let's read together that scripture. This is the Phillips translation. Last I heard, John Phillips, who did this translation of the Bible, lives in Wilmington, North Carolina. And uh, he's a great writer, great author, and any of his books, John Phillips, that you see, you buy them if you can afford them. Acts 11 uh, uh, 19, I've got 19 through 20, I believe, but it's, it's more than that. It's more verses than that. Now those who had been dispersed by the persecution, y'all remember what I told you last week? How the Holy Spirit came down, and when the Holy Spirit came down, people were filled with the Holy Spirit, and many were saved, and, and the fire of God, I mean revival fire is burning bright, and lives are being changed, and it's messing up the Roman system, and it's messing up big time. The Pharisee, self-righteous crowd is messing their whole religious system up, and, and because of that persecution from two fronts, The Romans and the Pharisees are pouring on the persecution. So the Bible says those who had been dispersed, so that means that when the Holy Spirit came in Jerusalem, that it it, it came, but not only did the Holy Spirit come, but then persecution came behind it. So people who had been filled with the Spirit, people who had been saved, people who had accepted Jesus, had to leave Jerusalem to find some peace in their life and to find and escape the horrible persecution. So it says, now those who had been dispersed by the persecution which arose over Stephen. You remember we talked about Stephen? So that whole thing with Stephen getting stoned to death, that just opened the floodgates of persecution. Read your Bible. Which arose over Stephen traveled, these people traveled as far as Phoenicia, I guess I said that right, Cyprus and Antioch, giving, listen to this, Giving the what? Message as they went. Isn't that cool? I mean, if I was getting persecuted, I mean, I'd probably be walking down the road going, I can't believe I gave my heart to God and now I've got to leave and I'm depressed. Man, these people were on fire for God. They, got, they were like, yeah, we're going to leave just so we won't get killed. But the whole time we're walking, if we run into anybody, we're going to tell them about Jesus. And we're going to tell them about the power of God. And we're going to tell them what God did in Jerusalem. And we're going to tell them about the day of Pentecost. And we're going to tell them about 3,000 people getting saved. And I'm going to tell them what I was before I got saved and what I am now since I got saved. And I ain't what I ought to be, but praise God, I ain't what it was. Amen. How many of y'all know that? You're, you're not what you ought to be. But you're not what you used to be either, are you? 
And so they said, they said they, the Bible says they told the message. Look at that. They gave the message as they went to Jews only. Notice that now. They weren't giving this message to the Gentiles. You know, there was that division. Got some racism, really, going on here. A little bit of racism going on. A little bit of uh, religious hierarchy. And, and we, we more better than you. And we... Uh, we uh, spiritual elitist, you know, because we're Jews, we're, we're spiritually elite, and so there's a little bit of a spiritual elitism going on there. I see that in the church. Can I preach on that just a minute? I, I tell you, one of the biggest hindrances in the church is this spiritual competition of I'm more spiritual than you, and I know more about the Bible than you, and I know more Greek words than you, and I know more Hebrew than you, and I'm deeper than you, and I'm more spiritual than you, and I'm going to tell you something, it's not healthy for the church. You be whatever it is God's called you to be, but stop judging other people because you know what? I don't really know where you are with God. You don't really know where I am with God. I'm just going to love on you and share with you what's blessed my life, and you share with me what's blessed your life. I think I can learn something from you, and you can probably learn something from me. The Bible says love is the foundation of it all. Love. Not judgmental or saying I'm more spiritual or... You know, I shine on now more than you do and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> Some of y'all going, I got to look that up. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I tell you, spiritual elitism is, is, is hurting the church. The spiritual competition of who's the most spiritual and who's the most biblical and who the, does the most scripture and this nitpicking that we do toward other churches and other churches do toward us. I'm telling you, it's destructive, 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 and it needs to come to an end. I've decided I'm going to have no part of it. Amen. Amen? However, he says, Now those who had been dispersed by the persecution which arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, giving the message, giving the gospel of Jesus Christ, telling their stories as they went, but they were telling them to Jews only. However, even though they were just telling it to Jews, however, among their number were natives of, whoa, Cyprus and Cyrene, and these men on their arrival at Antioch proclaimed their message to the what? Gentiles. I don't know about y'all. I'm pretty happy about the Gentiles being included on this whole thing, aren't you? Because I are one. I'm a Gentile. The Bible says much to the surprise of some of these spirit-filled people that had been filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost and had accepted Christ. Much to their surprise, the Greeks were hearing this message, the Gentiles were hearing this message, and they were being saved. Look, says the Greeks as well, telling them the good news of the Lord Jesus. So the gospel is not exclusive. The gospel is to every man. It is not in the heart of God that any man should perish, but that everyone should come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Look at the next line in your... Am I making it hard for you all to keep up with me? The hand of the Lord was what? With them. And a great number of not just Jews, but also Gentiles, what? 
believed and what? That's what it's all about right there. I don't care if every seat in here is full, though I'm not against that either. I don't care if every seat in here is full and we take up $50,000 every weekend. I'm not against either one of those things. But if lives aren't being changed and people aren't turning to the Lord, we're nothing. We're nothing. We're nothing. It's about life change. It's about life change. They were turning to the Lord. They were turning to the Lord. And then it says, news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Whoa now. Because, I mean, this whole Holy Spirit thing and people getting saved, that's just for the Jews, isn't it? News of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent who? Barney. Ha-ha. <laughs> to Antioch and said, boy, that's my version. Go find out what's going on over there. When he arrived, he saw this working of what? God's grace. He was delighted. He was delighted. He urged them all to be resolute in their faithfulness to the Lord. Here's a good owner. Look at the encouragement. Look at the encouragement. To be resolute in their faithfulness to the Lord. And then the Bible tells us a little bit about Barnabas, for he was a what? Man. Uh, man, I wish I had known him, for he was a good man, full of the and of man. That's good stuff right there. And then look at that last sentence. So it happened that a considerable number of people became followers of the Lord. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So these people who had been persecuted in Jerusalem run, run, because their, their lives are being threatened, so they run. But this is all a tactic of the Holy Spirit. See, when you, when you let, me, let me just give you a little illustration here. If you got a puddle of gasoline and it's on fire, do not throw a rock in it. Because if you do, you're going to have a bunch of little puddles of gasoline all over the place. So when this fire started in Jerusalem, the Romans and the, and the Pharisees thought, we're going, to, we're going to throw some persecution in the middle of that, put that fire out. No, sir, when the persecution hit that puddle of fire, little fires went everywhere. Even bad stuff turns out good when God's hand is on it. And the Bible says that these people went to Antioch and they started saying, hey, let me just tell you what happened, man. I got filled with the Spirit. I, I became a Christian, got filled with the Spirit. I got to tell you, I saw miracles. I saw God doing stuff. I got to tell you, man, yeah, persecution's bad, bad, bad. That's why I'm here. But I just got to tell you, there's something better going on than the bad that's going on. And I want to tell you about it. So the people started getting saved. And a lot of these people, these Gentiles started getting saved. So the church at Jerusalem heard about these new, this new bunch of people becoming Christians. And they said, Barnabas, we don't know what kind of fire that is down there. It might be some wildfire down there. And they're claiming that they're serving the same Jesus we are, and I don't know what's going on. I mean, there's no apostles down there. It's not under any kind of overseer situation. They're, we're just concerned about that. I mean, we, we wonder, is it true fire or not? I mean, is this of God? There's no apostolic guidance. There's no apostolic affirmation. 
So I've got to be honest with you, Barnabas. We're wondering if this is real Christianity. I mean, is, is that really God, what's going on down there in Antioch? And we're going to send you down there to go check that out. So the Bible says Barnabas went a good man full of the Holy Ghost and faith. The Bible says when he arrived on the scene, he saw the grace of God at work. Isn't that great? I mean, it doesn't beat around the bush or leave you wondering. I mean, when Barnabas walked up on the scene in Antioch, he said, this is God. This is the grace of God. I mean, he just went around encouraging them, go, this is God, guys, you're good, you're good, man, this is real, you got it, you got it, you're plugged in, praise God, hold on to Jesus, man, this is wonderful. I can just see old Barnabas going around slapping people on the back going, you're good, you're good, I'm come and give me some love, man. Can you see Barnabas doing that? Just hugging people, man, saying, hallelujah, praise God. This is God. This is God. Let me tell you what Barnabas did right there. You say, well, how does that, I mean, I understand I need to apply, but I mean, I, I, mean, I understand I need to live like Barnabas, but how does that apply to our day? I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how I think it applies. You see, that Jerusalem church kind of represents the traditional church. You say, well, they really haven't been a church that long. Yeah, but it don't take long for a church that is not traditional to start getting its traditions and letting those traditions get in the way of the real move of God. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And so he goes down to Antioch, man, and he finds out it's real. And so he takes the hand of these new Christians and these kind of skeptical Christians, and they're all Christians, but the Jerusalem church is kind of going, you know, it didn't quite happen like that when it happened with us. You know, they got something going on down there that doesn't look exactly like what went on here. So we're not sure they're the real deal, and I wonder if we're more the real deal than they're the real deal, and the enemy's trying to get in there and bring division in the church. Boom. And Barnabas goes down there, and he takes that traditional church by the hand, and he takes this crazy, charismatic bunch by the hand. He takes this crazy bunch over here who don't have any apostolic leadership, and he takes them by the hand because, you know, that's what we do. We go, well, the Pentecostals got this, but the Baptists ain't got that, and the Baptists got that, but the Pentecostals ain't got that, and the Presbyterians, they need to get some of this, like us. And the Free Will Baptists and the Church of God and the Assemblies of God and the Presbyterians, oh, the Presbyterians. And we let divisions come. And we talk about each other and against each other more than we fight the real enemy. And the real enemy sits back and applauds as churches eat each other alive. I'm preaching. See, we need some people who will take some hands and say, oh, come on, man. Just because that don't look quite like you and that don't look quite like you. and Just because they sing a certain way and you sing another way. And just because their preacher wears a robe and your preacher looks like he just got through mowing grass. <laughs> now, I'm not saying anything goes now. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying anything goes. But I'm saying, man... When you believe in the cross of Calvary, 
When you believe in the shed blood of Jesus for the remission of sin, when you believe he died for sin and rose from the dead on the third day and there is no way to get reconnected back to God except through that cross, which is the bridge to God, those people are our brothers and sisters. And that's what Barnabas did right here. That's what Barnabas did. He took the traditional and the new and different. He took the Jews and the Gentiles and he brought it together. He sees what's going on. Yeah, he knows it's different. But he, got, he becomes a bridge builder. He bridges the gap. He sees what God is doing in Jerusalem. He says, that's God. He sees what God is doing in Antioch. He goes, it's different, but that's God too. Are y'all hearing me out there? You see, he knows the old and loves it. He sees the new and loves it. He believes in the tradition, but he also believes in the frontier. He believes in what God is doing, not just what God has done. He's being used of God to just merge and mold all of that together. What's wrong with many people today? What's wrong with so many churches today? Let me just give you the, the seven last words of a dying church. Well, I've never done it like that before. Is that seven words? We've never done it that way before, yes. There are three kinds of church leaders. Now, um, I just want you all to look around and think now. There are, there are a lot of churches going down. A lot of churches going down. And I got to tell you, when I look at it, when I look at it, when I pray for them, most of the time it's because of an unwillingness to realize that God doesn't move in just one way, that God moves in many ways. I don't want to get too personal here, but I've seen some churches that used to be strong, strong, strong in our denomination and in our county and in eastern North Carolina. And they were strong, 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 booming, getting people saved, lives being changed. But they, but they wouldn't, when God came along and said, keep the message the same, the message never changes, but you're going to have to change some of your methodology. You know, like when you quit riding a horse and buggy and bought you a car. Isn't it amazing that people look at church and they go, you can't change, you can't change, you can't change. You're compromising. Well, you didn't compromise when you sold that horse and buggy and bought that Cadillac. You thought that was good. But I see churches today and there's an unwillingness. Not, I'm not talking about compromise here. I'm not talking about changing your message. I'm not talking about anything. I'm talking about looking around and saying, you know what? We've got to give the message, but we've got to give it different if we're going to get the attention of this generation. Or you can just say they can just all go to hell. I mean, really, when you say, I want church my way, I don't want no new people coming in here. 
I don't want nobody that's not in my family coming in here. I don't want any poor people coming in here. I don't want any stinky people coming in here. I don't want any people that don't look like me and my family. I don't want them coming in here. This is my church. But I sure hope we have revival. And these churches look around, and they call you, and they want to meet with you. Tell us what you're doing at the bridge, man. We're going down the tubes over here. Tell us what y'all doing over there at the bridge. And I start talking, and 10 minutes into my conversation, their countenance has dropped because they know they're not about to take the risk we take. Three kind of church leaders. you got risk takers, and then you got caretakers. People who are just like, you know, I'm going to take care of the little few we got, the, our little holy huddle. I mean, I know a church in Raleigh that told their pastor, we don't want to grow any more than we are. But we want people to be saved. Can I ask you a question? Where they go, if they come to your church and get saved, they might want to just stay there. I'm just, I'm just thinking. They might want to stay there in your church. So you got risk takers. You got caretakers who are like, you know, we're just going to be safe. Stay in the safe zone. Stay in the comfort zone. Don't ruffle any feathers. Don't rub fur the wrong way. Let's just stay in our safe zone. Let's just keep the, whole, the little few we got. And then you got your undertakers. <laughs> you got your risk takers and your caretakers and your undertakers. And I got to tell you, there are attitudes in churches that are killing churches today. Killing churches There are a lot of church leaders and a lot of Christians who don't want to step outside their comfort zone, come well or come woe. Status is our quo. <laughs> they want things to stay like they are in Jerusalem. If it's not happening exactly like what was happening in Jerusalem, then it's got to be wrong. But old Barney came along and said, hey, guys, you can't put God in a box. God's doing something wonderful over there in Antioch. It don't look exactly like what's going on here in Jerusalem. But I got to tell you, man, I know God when I see God, and that's God. Notice how Barnabas encouraged the Jerusalem group, and he encouraged the Antioch group. He was a bridge builder. He took the past and linked it to the future. He took the old and connected it with the new. He took the traditional and connected it to the frontier. Frontier. He said, we can do this together. Bridge builders do not sit around and think of ways and reasons that things can't be done. If you're a bridge builder, if you're a Barnabas type, you're figuring out ways it can be done, not ways it can't be done. Barnabas was that kind of man. I heard about two pastors talking one day. And one of the pastors said, do you have any committees in your church? He said, oh man, I've got committees coming out of the yin-yang. I don't even know what that means. But he said, I've got lots of committees. I mean, we got committees. We have a committee for this, a committee, and then a subcommittee that helps that committee. He said, we even got a bucket committee. 
He said, a bucket committee? What in the world is a bucket committee? He said, well, whenever we think of anything good, we think of anything great, we think of anything grand, we think of anything glorious, every time we think of anything that's sort of a risk, we have these self-appointed bucket committee that comes in and they just pour cold water on everything. And they remind us of how it can never be done. And not only can it never be done, it shouldn't be done. Can I say out loud this morning, God deliver us from the bucket brigade. What is a Barnabas owner? He's an encourager. He lifts burdens. If you got the spirit of Barnabas in you this morning, you didn't walk in the door thinking about what you were going to get out of this service. If you got the spirit of Barnabas in you, you walked in this morning thinking about others and how you might be a blessing. Barnabas became a friend to the friendless, and then he connected them to other friends and vouched for them. Barnabas bridged the gap. He's a bridge builder, and when there's a bridge that needs to be built over troubled waters, the Barnabas type steps up and says, I'll build that bridge because I want to bring people together for the cause of Christ. God, give us Barnabases in the church.